Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Cast of Caw, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet. Hello, hello. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm back again, and uh, I've got Rachel here. We've actually solved some internet problems before this cast, and, uh, you know... Rachel, um, you were just complaining before the show about uh, me uh, complaining. Never <laughs> trailers for the new movie. Um, mm-hmm. I have been slightly paying attention to the uh, the Facebook feed that you've started, and uh, I see a lot of posts about the trailers. Yeah. Uh, where are we at on this? I mean, we're still in early stages. Like, um, I don't think the big rollout has started, but like this week they released some extended trailers, but like they all have the exact same footage, but just with more like talking heads in them. And what's interesting is they're clearly trying to do a lot of like laying of the groundwork of what this universe is. So like for people like you and I who have read the series or our listeners who know the ins and outs of the series, like there's really not a lot of interesting material in that. It's all like, explaining what a gunslinger is and yada 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 um but yeah i i I don't know if we go based on what our listeners are telling me which i mean i would i mean they know (laughs) that's what i'm learning (laughs) they know (laughs) like the big rollout's probably going to come out come next month so i don't know but at the same time i kind of like a trailer that doesn't spoil absolutely everything so at least they're not doing that yeah but uh I guess is a a story that's based on a very popular series. So the, the the ending is probably already somewhat spoiled. Yeah. Regardless of them changing the plot a bit or uh, mixing things up. Well, that's, I, I think the that's the thing. I don't know. Like, I remember the very first image I saw was like when they were doing the very early stage marketing was what looked to be mm-hmm. Jake under the mountain because he was sort of backlit and it said there are other worlds than these, right? And yeah. I kind of forgotten about it, but then I was thinking about it um, as I was telling you. I'm, I'm listening to the books. Uh, I was driving back and forth between LA this weekend, which was awesome, by the way. I saw a celebrity; it was very exciting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, like, I had forgotten about it, and then we got to the part where, like, you know, in the third book, another. In case there are people who are first time readers, I don't want to spoil things, but I'll just say a, a character returns. And um, it just kind of got me thinking about it. I, for some reason, that that image popped into my mind, and I was like, "Well, you know, maybe somehow in this movie they're going to address the Jake thing. Like maybe this movie stuff's happening out of order. Maybe it doesn't happen under the mountain, but maybe the movie is going to end with Jake dying." Yeah, maybe. Um... I mean, I I would applaud that because that then it kind of sets us up for drawing of three as the second yeah but you think uh this movie is gonna do well enough to get to the second movie well i've been reading these because i'm me i've been reading all these think pieces and you know there's some that are like oh you know uh it's not going to do well for this and that reason but another one i read it was talking about the advantages that this movie has and one of them is that it's literally the last movie like big movie of the summer and so that might help boost its numbers. Apparently, historically, the, they do because people are just like, you know, like one more 
popcorn movie. And then also they're looking at the example of something like Wonder Woman, which I know at first glance maybe doesn't apply. But if you think about it, it's something with a really established fan base um, that people have been clamoring for for years. Dark Tower also has a pretty substantial fan base. Then the people who love it really want to see this movie and are going to see this movie no matter what the reviews look like. So there has potential for it to do well. And then the last thing working for it is it actually is not a super huge budget movie. This thing, uh, really? the, yeah, no, the budget for this was $60 million, which is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. That's but, pretty thin compared to like most blockbusters though. Exactly. So like, if you look at things like, you know, like things that were sort of like historical failures, like John Carter or Wonder or uh, Waterworld, which I know you love. million, a gazillion, bazillion yes. million. So, like, they have to make, like, $300 million in order to be successful, which is not, mm. you know, like, but if this movie makes $150 million or even $100 million, it's a modest to pretty good success. And I don't know that that's impossible. I think potentially because they were smart in, in terms of budget and, like, shooting partially in New York and partially in South Africa – like they were able to reduce the budget by not having it all take place in a fantasy world where they had to create a bunch of the world. Um, yeah. You know, like, so are you thinking this is like the book version of the Marvel success we've been seeing over the last couple of years where um, like enough uh, readers are going to be into it. And just like comic books is going to fly. I, mean, I don't think it's going to do Iron Man numbers, but I think that it could do John Wick two numbers. You know, like which is considered a success yeah. and is getting a sequel, but who knows? I mean, we uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens overseas as well. You know, that's a big part of it. Hmm. Like, is there? I don't know anything about what the audience for Stephen King and The Dark Tower looks like in China. You know, but that's a fact. I don't. I don't want to be a downer, but if you survey a lot of people mm -hmm. I know, um, there's maybe one or two that even would recognize the word the dark or the words dark tower series and but, you know like yeah. you ask them what their favorite stephen king book is and they name you know one of the ones that are li uh, listed in the last like five years of yeah. writing uh not anything classic or or what have you so and maybe that's um that's a pretty narrow pond to yeah. fish out of and uh, also but, we uh, remember we like had this conversation leading up to wonder woman where we're like nobody we know wants to see it and it's like the number one movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it. And it, I know when the commercial started showing up that uh, Wonder Woman was like, no, number one movie. My wife's like, oh, maybe we could go see it. And it's already it out of the theater here. Oh, no, that's terrible. Yeah. See, you should listen to me. We only have uh, four screens, <laughs> so it's a pretty short, short run. Me next time, damn it. Anyway, back to uh, uh, Stephen King and The Dark Towers, because this is not a film review podcast. Um, we've been gone for a little bit, uh, so we're back. Rachel, uh, you want to explain our spoiler policy and uh, touch up on any uh, pre-show uh, uh, information that we need to get out there before we move on to the spot? Well, why don't I break down the plan for tonight? Um, what we're going to do is we're going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about the chapter Shuffle from the drawing of three as far as the movie news we already kind of touched on it uh there like i said it's been a really slow news week uh, so i think we're gonna go ahead and skip that we don't have connections to the stephen king universe this week but what we, we do have is we actually got a handful of really great emails and a voicemail which are fantastic so i figure we can close out the show with those okay uh, that sounds great yes we also 
got a review this week. So, like, one of the things that we're always harping on every week is that, you know, one of the best ways that you can support the show is by leaving us an iTunes review. So, um, rather than just, like, bug you for them, I thought it might be nice if we show our appreciation for the people who actually, like, take the time to, like, look up their iTunes um, password, or if you like me, reset it for the millionth time, um, and actually write us a review that we could share the reviews on here, including the bad ones. Like, if people leave a bad one, I'll read them. I don't care. Um, so, I think we kick off the show with, uh, like, thanking and, and reading this review. So, this one is a really nice, positive review. So, if you don't want to hear us <laughs> read wonderful things about ourselves and think it's insufferable, you can skip ahead. But, um, like I said, I'll read the bad ones, too. <laughs> it just so happens that the first one is a good one. So, sound good, Deej? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. So our first our our first new review is from Led Jenny or L E D Jenny. Not sure which. They're all it's all lowercase. So it could be Legitimately. 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 Okay. It's titled Go Then. There are other worlds than these. Five stars. I love this podcast. I don't know anyone. Uh, in real life who has read the Dark Tower series, let alone geeked out on it as much as I have. And it is so fun to hear Rachel and DJ parse through the books. They are close readers and bring a lot of new insights. I'm uh, in the middle of rereading the series now. Their podcasts always have me thinking in new ways about things. I especially... I was especially blown away by DJ's theory of what happened at the end of The Gunslinger when Roland was with the man in black. He's got me thinking about the series in a whole new way. And I love the research and attention Rachel brings to each show. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I started uh, a different Dark Tower podcast, but quickly abandoned it once I realized I knew more about Stephen King's books than the hosts. This one, though, is fantastic. My only worry is that they'll stop after the movie comes out. Please don't keep it up until Roland reaches the towers, guys. Oh, that's so nice. Um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, we're we're in this for the for the long run. Yeah, um, we're sporadic a little bit in show times and releases simply because of our schedule. Or both of us yeah. are busy people, uh, but uh, we plan to go through everything eventually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will say though, like after that uh, shining review, um, this was this chapter we're about to roll into <laughs> is probably like one of the ones where I was I was dogging it. So uh, Rachel wins this round for attention to detail and good theories. Well, I have questions I have for much. you along the way. I'm gonna we're definitely gonna be like tapping into the DJ brains because I want to definitely get your feedback on some stuff as we go. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you so much, little Jenny. Uh, we really, really appreciate these reviews uh, more than you know. So if, like Little Jenny, you want to leave us a review, go on iTunes, type it up. We we do keep an eye out for those things, and we will share them at the beginning of the show. Especially if they say nice things about DJ, right, Deej? <laughs> uh, you guys can say as many bad things as you'd like. Fine. <laughs> I have a thick skin, and I don't mind being trashed upon. <laughs> you know what? I, that is very true of you, actually. <laughs> All right, so before we dig into the chapter, would you mind reminding our listeners of what our spoiler policy is? So in general, guys, we only cover the chapter that we are are discussing for the week. Uh, We will draw a hard line in the sand and let you know if we're going beyond that with any kind of spoilers. Uh, Also, if any of the movie information that we talk about, which is sparse this week, uh, we will let you know if that spoils anything that is coming up in the book. So this chapter, then we draw the line if there's any spoilers, and that hopefully will keep you out of the spoiler zone. Yes, very good. 
All right. So where do we leave off, Deej? Uh, basically, we just had this like tremendous gunfight <laughs> where uh, Eddie is running around naked, uh, shooting up bad guys. His brother's head is chopped off and used to taunt him. He saves Roland in a rather dramatic way by just throwing caution to the wind and shooting. Roland then saves him at the very end. They get the drugs that uh, Roland needs, and Roland convinces him that uh, heroin might not be his best option, and he should head through the portal with him to uh, Roland's world where they can be safe from the police that were beating down the yep. door. Uh, <laughs> This is, yeah, that was actually so very good. They, they, <laughs> they roll out from there, and like uh, they get into the world. And Stephen King, um, in the Dark Tower series, he often chooses to do these strange literary devices that he only uses maybe mm-hmm. once. And he kind of he kind of switches it up. Like um, a couple chapters ago, we had that thing where you're kind of jumping forward and backward in time, and it got a little bit confusing <laughs> yeah. as to what's what's going where. This time he's chosen to do this whole chapter in a series of humdrum shuffles that uh, I believe to me are supposed to represent uh, Roland kind of coming in and Mm -hmm. out of consciousness as they uh, travel uh, down the beach and and, uh, in general just try to stay alive. Uh, Again, guys, I'm not as enthusiastic about this one, so... I'm going to probably let Rachel do most of the, the talking and, and answer questions <laughs> as needed. But uh, to, to me, basically, this chapter represents somebody who is battling sickness and eating a lot of lobster. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, oh, that's pretty no much way. it, really. Like, uh, there's some, there's some yeah. emotional talk and like there's this, this uh, you know, uh, Eddie going through his drug withdrawal. And, uh, and this finally culminates in him basically sitting down to tell his whole story with him and his brother and how they grew up and how Eddie got to this point. And Roland already kind of like humdrum in the oh, story man. and, and uh, you know, kind of in his own mind saying like this story, he's not telling it for me. He's telling it for himself because this is the first time that he's really thought about it or said it out loud since he's been sober. And, uh, you know, the whole, this whole chapter, you basically watch Eddie go from, you know, a drug addict to withdraws to to kind of like persevere you find out that he's sort of addicted to people needing him and so that's why he, he doesn't um he doesn't get a uh, leave rolling and run off and uh and uh, that's it like i've basically summarized the whole chapter now no. rachel get into the, the nitty-gritty because uh man this one just didn't do anything for me oh my gosh you're i love see as much as i love a shootout i also just love i love internal like dialogue and yeah i mean because these are foundational moments in the the one of the like most important relationships in the entire series is the eddie roland stuff and it's really good character building it's just that it's not very exciting like yes that's great i want to know like a little bit more about his life but when i think about this chapter i don't think uh, of it as a high point this is like one of the ones i shuffle down in the bottom and just use as a reference when i want to understand what roland or eddie are thinking you know this one hits me right in the fifis man i love this one (laughs) all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna take us back to the beginning i've broken this up into shuffles basically um as you said it's him dipping in and out of consciousness and if you have ever had a really high fever i feel like especially these early shuffles 
really capture that feeling. Have you ever had like 104 degree temperature? Oh yeah, or um, I've uh, been in and out of consciousness and death before oh in hospitals. Oh right, right. So you know, you get to that point where like you don't know how you got there, where you're right. at, and you're confused, and then you just go back out again, and the next thing you know, you're somewhere else in a new place confused, and you're down again, and like you wake up, and it's like your brain and all input to your body just shut off, and you're missing a gap, and then suddenly you're somewhere else. Yeah. It's really unnerving. Right, which is why one of the things I really love about, like you said, the literary device that, that Stephen King uses in this section is like, I think he really captures that sense of uh, disorientation that happens with a fever or with, with, in your case, I think it was blood loss. You know what I mean? I, I, uh, I don't want to go into all your personal biz, but you know what I mean? Like, I felt like it was a very effective use of that literary device. Um, Definitely. And while he, this is happening, Roland is delirious with fever and he has this sort of shuffling kaleidoscope of images in his mind. Um, Eddie is not in much better shape. He's deep in the hell of withdrawal. Uh, and, you know, as he realized as the door was slamming behind him, he was not going to have any heroin over here. Um, Roland asks him how long this has been going on because he has lost total sense of time. And um, Eddie tells him no, but it's less than a week because that's the amount of antibiotics they have. After that, um, he's just, you know, basically he has a few more days of antibiotics. And after that, he's going to have to get well or die on his own. And Roland passes out again. And I, I, you know, in this early section, I love the little touches of world building that King manages to kind of add in with the surreal sort of flickering images. Um, at one point he talks about one-eyed jacks and trays of nines and a bloody black bitch queen of spiders. Uh, and I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not a big card shark, but I've never heard these sayings before. So I, I believe it's sort of like, like midworldian. I don't know. Have you ever heard of the bloody bitch queen of spiders? Uh, yeah. Um, these are all like uh, cart cart references from the old times. Okay, and, see, I assumed they were card references, but I didn't have real worlds. Yeah, I don't know how far back they no. they go, but uh, you can you can hop on Wikipedia and look up like One Eyed Jack and and uh, uh, Spider Queen and stuff like that, and and find card okay. references. Um, the Jack isn't drawn the same way as they used to, but. In old cards, sometimes uh, one of the jacks would have an actual eye patch. And see, I just know it as the brothel from uh, Twin Peaks. Oh, <laughs> one eye jacks. But uh, the the actual reference is because the drawing style that was commonly used for playing cards was uh, a side view of the face. The jack mm -hmm. always only had the one eye visible. And yeah, I can picture that. Yeah. So if you think about the but profile what about that they used the, to draw. What about the bloody spider bitch queen i don't i just let me that's go. a new one <laughs> like, i've heard it before but i you know i okay. don't know hmm hmm okay so spider bitch might be midworld but i like how it sort of blends those two things like, oh, okay okay so the red queen is the uh is the blood like bloody as in the ah. british term like uh if someone has a set of queens and they come at you with it in a poker game so like you know, and then you had um, uh, the Queen of Hearts, obviously, mm -hmm. the, the bloody queen. So, you know, like, uh, oh, great. You know, these guys have four queens and they lay them down on you and like, that's it. Okay. So it's 
so it is a card reference. It's just that the way it's phrased in the book makes it a little bit harder to pin down because, you know, the profanities against women eh. in there. And then, I guess it's not. I mean, that if I gotta be a bitch, I'd like to be a bitch queen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So yeah, yeah. So that's that is actually a normal uh, reference. Okay. It's just been embellished upon. So all right. yeah, there you go. Well, there we go. The more you know, learning shit all over the place. So Roland passes out again and he wakes up. Um, he can hear gunshots in the distance and he has this momentary panic where he th- can't find his gun and he thinks to himself like, oh my God, it's the end. Then he smells something and he realizes what he's smelling actually smells pretty good. Uh, it's a campfire and the aroma of something cooking. And when he realizes that this campfire actually smells good to him, it means he must be getting his appetite back, which is a sign that the medicine is working and that he's getting better. That being said, he's still super sick. He can't talk. Eddie is taking care of him and he brings him a plate of this like mystery white meat. You know, as non-Midworlders, we pretty much know what it is, but uh, Roland doesn't recognize it, but it's delicious. And Roland gets his first really good look at how bad Eddie is doing. And what's interesting is in this moment, Roland kind of, does something that's out of character. He tries to re- he reaches out and tries to comfort Eddie and Eddie is like having none of it. Tells him like, you know, I would kill you uh if it wouldn't leave me alone in this horrible world with these lobsters. But what I think is so interesting about this section, particularly around Roland reaching out to Eddie is that it seems like in Roland's case being physically vulnerable it it seems to be having an effect on like him being able to be emotionally vulnerable as well. This is the first time we've ever seen him sort of like demonstrably nurturing to someone. I mean, he it's rejected, but it's still a side of Roland we haven't seen. And it kind of gives you hope that there are, are unseen depths to Roland, which we always suspected, but it's, this is a softer side that we never even really saw fully with with jake like when jake was upset roland didn't do a lot of comforting if i recall like he was definitely he would lie to him and he would tell him what he needed to hear but he never was like a reach out and comfort paternalistic sort of character and so to see that in this moment you know was it was a little insight into more sides of Roland and it will be interesting to see if any of that translates later when he's back on his feet. I don't know that, uh, that little spot right there is the only time in this particular chapter where it felt like Roland really cared. And then it mm-hmm. like immediately drifts up back off to this, like sort of passive, like, I guess I'll listen to you, <laughs> you know, like, well, Oh, I mean, poor you. Think... Like, like quit complaining person. You're never going to get this back. Yeah, it's definitely Roland's like his love language is a little bit different. You know what I mean? Like he's able to recognize and we'll get into this later what Eddie needs and he's willing to do it. But it's very passive, whereas this is actually like an active sense of trying to comfort someone. And it's interesting to see this in this situation, too. Eddie is ever the caretaker, you know, like here he is. He's furious with Roland. He is in a physical hell but he cannot help but take care of roland you know regardless of why he says he's doing it that he doesn't want to be left alone in this world with him he just cannot seem to stop looking out for other people it's just like in the eddie dean dna even when he's furious he's like a good dude 
Well, he, he even explains it. Like he says, you know, uh, some people are addicted to uh, taking care of being needed by other people, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so, I mean, he basically fesses up and, and says like, you know, I, I'm, I'm the type of person that, uh, you know, if someone needs me, I, I feel a need to take care of them and to help them, you know, even if it yeah. drags him down or causes him problems or, or what have you. And, uh, you know, I know it's a little bit further, yeah. but there's even like, what do you telling him the story of uh how like he had roland's gun and he thought about just ending it yeah and uh you know then he's like but you needed me so i i decided to stick around and actually you know like help you which is you know you're choosing you're choosing between being someone's like handmaiden and wow wow that has like a whole other (laughs) like cultural cachet right now (laughs) I i didn't mean it quiet but uh you know it's still like it's like really you know and eddie's still described here as just being like completely miserable sweaty kind of gross looking has a smell of of death about him that wasn't from rolling you know right i mean and that's the thing is i think when people are at their at their physical breaking point a lot of times like you can't like you can't help but show like you're you're boiled sort of down to sort of the essence of yourself. Yes, exactly. Because there's no extra energy for artifice, right? And what we see is that yeah. when Roland is totally breaking broken down, there is a softness to him. When Eddie is totally broken down, he cannot like he's such a service bottom. Like he cannot not take care of others. Um which, you know, this is these are not bad traits to have in a cotet or to have um you know in a gunslinger right like someone who because you want to think of gunslingers even though they're sort of like like we joked earlier or last week about like what their alignment would be in the D D world but like they're like lawful at least lawful neutral right and and i think eddie is our lawful good <laughs> um okay so roland passes out again and when he comes to he still can't speak he, now he can manage at least a whisper uh eddie is still shuddering with withdrawal uh roland asks uh roland starts to tell him like we need to get moving we need to move north up the beach you know eddie thinks this is crazy and when you know he he's just like had it up to here with roland and roland begins to pass out again while eddie's trying to give him his medicine and eddie slaps him awake which is bold like you don't (laughs) not many people have the balls to slap roland and i i like really doubt many of them (laughs) live to tell the story (laughs) well this spot is kind of the the touchstone in the change in their right. relationship where as you go on through this chapter um you know Eddie even like has Roland's gun and you know we have um we we have this well i, I guess that's yep, yep, no, yep. never mind i got to back up cuz i'm going <laughs> to right, jump into so, the next chapter <clears throat> this is also is you know we were talking about how like signs that people are getting better for eddie we his sense of humor is starting to get back for roland it was a little bit of the appetite right and now we're seeing some of eddie's sarcastic wit coming back he he's like you know open up for dr eddie you kidnapping fuck but roland is able to kind of like even though he's still very sick he they he describes like drawing eddie closer with his bull shooter's eyes and says you know you only have two choices here stand and maybe live or die on your knees with your head down and the stink of your own armpits in your nose it's (laughs) nothing to me 
That's how, it's just <laughs> Which, a weird, you know, I, weird way to say it. Your armpits in your nose. Right. Right. Well, I mean, the thing is, is I think Eddie got a little out of pocket, right? Like he went a little too far uh, in, in putting, you know, slapping, you know, slapping Roland and taking advantage of the fact that he's in such a like compromised state. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as Eddie will take it, cause he is a good dude, but like this was kind of Roland's reminder, you know, that he needs to remember what, what, you know, like remember who Roland is. Um, but in this section, I really feel like Eddie is all of us. He is the voice of the audience. Um, like, I understand like the rage that he must feel in being scared to be trapped in this new world on his own. Um, and like the resentment he feels towards Roland for bringing him there. And like the frustration you would feel if someone was like constantly talking to you in riddles. Um, so yeah, so no more beach cuddles for these two. The honeymoon is uh, temporarily over. Um, <laughs> yeah. So any other thoughts on this section? No, again, like it's really just character building between Roland and Eddie, and yeah. you see their dynamic, and uh, they eat lobster meat. <laughs> All right, so Roland again wakes up and he's hearing gunfire. Unlike last time, where he panics, he kind of has a sense that everything is okay. Um, I don't know if it's just that it's like a sense of well being because he's getting better, or if maybe he is kind of trusting Eddie more, or realizing in the like previously he maybe didn't remember in that moment that he was with him and now he does i don't know well there was even a statement um it was the previous time when he woke up to gunfire and eddie had brought him some food and water that roland kind of thought to himself well is this guy even smart enough to know (laughs) whether this water is putrid or not you know whether this water is going to kill me and then Roland like looks over at him and like, well, I guess he's not dead. So I guess I'm not dead either, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wait. And I do think that in all of this, sort of like the undercurrent of it is that trust is still building. Um, well, and by the uh, end of this chapter, it, you almost, um, Roland's confidence level in Eddie builds up enough that it almost feels like he could accept Eddie as uh you know, almost an apprentice gunslinger mm-hmm. or as like uh, a future you know um not a sidekick but actually like an equal mm-hmm. and at the beginning of this chapter it's more like eddie's this sort of pathetic human being mm-hmm. and and that's sort of like the evolution i think am i am no, i wrong I think, in that rachel I think or is you're that right um as much as i know there isn't a lot of action in the seats uh the section I feel like we really are getting to know how these men's minds work. Um, and the, like it, there is a solidification of this, like, well, I mean the way the chapter ends, I can't say it's like a solidified situation because we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. We'll yeah, yeah. get there. All right. So, um, Roland wakes up to gunfire again. He thinks everything is okay. Um, he eats more of the mystery meat and he's really finally starting to feel better. And Eddie also is starting to look a little bit better. Uh, he's worried. Eddie's worried that the lobsters on the beach are getting closer and, you know, perhaps they don't appreciate being their dinner every night, which information, which we as readers do Roland finally discovers what they've been eating. And he is horrified. This part's actually pretty fun because, yeah. you know, Eddie's like, I, I like to think that I'm eating a little bit of that guy these lobsters ate earlier. Yeah, believe me. 
<laughs> yep. And then, uh, you know, Roland's like, well, they ate my hand, too. He's like, well, there you go. That's another reason <laughs> like, to that enjoy is a bonus. these meals. <laughs> like, yeah. Wisecracking is Eddie is back in this section. And, like, he, he is on his game again between, like, making jokes about, you know, you know, I'm not, like having red lobster delivered um and like joking about rattlesnakes and doing his little fancy waiter accent you know he still kind of has a nasty edge to his humor in this section because he's still pretty pissed off at roland but i'm you notice as his health improves so does like his like humor and wittiness uh well and there's several times through this chapter and it kind of starts around here where uh roland um is, is like it, as he's getting better eddie kind of thinks to himself that it's not the medicine that's making him better it's like the sheer will of this yeah. you know gnarly man like forcing himself to get better so that he can continue on his his uh deadly quest to the towers mm-hmm. exactly so at this point roland again demands they go north um eddie thinks like you said that that though the medicine is helping roland uh it's really kind of up to his willpower and you know in this section i was thinking about how much as as much as roland is so good at reading a room and sizing people up like he did with andalini and balazar and eddie to a certain extent eddie also has roland's number you know what i mean like he sees he definitely sees roland for who he is and later on when we kind of alluded to earlier when they're having the conversation about who how people some people need to be needed. Like Eddie really has Roland's number, which is yeah. are very good skills to have in a, you know, potential gunslinger. So Roland wakes up again. This time he's being dragged up the beach by Eddie and Eddie is singing. Hey Jude, which we know that Roland is familiar with because it was the song that he heard outside toll in the first book. Uh, and he's very shocked to hear Eddie singing it. And I wanted to know, like, what are your theories on this uh, uh, do we think that midworld is like the future version of earth do we think music transcends we got actually in one of the the listener mail uh things we're going to read later this is a question that is asked by the listener like wh- how how why do we think that hey jude is something that has isn't both the so uh you you mentioned before rachel that um uh, in some of other of uh, some of Stephen King's other books, you have like so, almost a cloning process where there's a mm. twinner of a, another character, and to me that rings true for a lot of these songs. Like although the world may or may not be the same, the musicians and artists are sort of uh, duplicated, so to speak, throughout the world. It's just like you know, uh, Jake sort of has a feeling for other Jakes. And uh, you get that sense that, like, even though they're they're different people in different universes, they sort of have like an underlying uh, essence that that sort of ties them together. Well, the musicians likely exist in these same mm-hmm. uh, spaces and likely write the same sort of tunes, if not the same tunes, maybe to a different appeal or maybe to uh, uh, right a different audience, but uh, those sorts of classic uh, musical pieces would still be classic no matter what world you, you found yourself in. And so to me, that that's how they get from one world to the other is that, you know, maybe they weren't but called there's the Beatles, like a John, maybe one John of the, Lennon or the Paul McCartney of the band. twinner out there. <laughs> exactly. That like, 
yeah that that you know at some point during the history of this world like existed and pretty much duplicated the same songs now i don't think i don't think that roland's world is the future of eddie's world per se uh because right. it turns out you know like there's a lot of different stuff in that world uh, however um if you had you know you go to the sliders theory <laughs> of of planet evolution here and say that like you know all it takes is a couple of of minor changes to a timeline for a world to skew yeah. off in another direction and with that in mind, I mean, that's likely yeah. what happened here. And in the world at the time the Beatles were writing songs like that was a simpler time. And they have obviously gone advanced, but classics are still Yeah, classics. and we do know that there are there are doors between worlds, obviously. And it seems like, you know, that's a catchy yeah, tune. I, we're, there, later on in the books, we have stuff with, like, the... Um... Well, it seems like I recall uh, people actually, like hearing tunes through some of the thinner parts mm. of the world was there was there music but i don't want to that's interesting i know there are todak I, chimes but I, I was thinking there was but it's been so long that i will not um, we could be blending that sure with a uh, bioshock it. infinite <laughs> oh my gosh probably i mean because that's what i immediately thought of when we were talking about this is that, like the multiple worlds like, spoiler alert for bioshock infinite sorry folks but like there are multiple worlds and like so there's these versions of pop songs that we're familiar with like by tears for fears but it's because it's like stuff that has like I sort think, of seeped through to yeah. the other god that's a great game okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know All i right. know there are sections in in this universe where uh the uh barriers between worlds are thin uh, but uh, i almost like even though uh the next uh drawing is also from a slightly different version of a world you know that uh these guys came from it sort of still feels like it, it the bleeding thing wouldn't explain it getting everywhere if you know what i mean right. Right. No, I mean, I, I these are all totally, that's the, that's the thing is like, what's so brilliant about these books is that there is a multitude of ways that this could happen that work without breaking the logic of this the world. Universe. It could be yeah. people passing forth, back and forth between worlds have brought it back and like did the thing like, you know, that they know the songs they hit over there and they're like okay well i'm gonna go like we all have the dream of going back in time and like inventing something and becoming rich right well, like that could be that it could be someone overhearing it through a thinny it could be remember twinners. the bird-headed creatures yes. that like walk yes why i always want to call them ifrits but they're not those are jinn what are what are they <laughs> why can i never remember what they're called I can't remember, but they're they're in the very first book. If you guys uh, want to reminisce Tahin, a little bit, there, it came to me. The Tahin, yes. uh walk walk the plains, and through their walking and wandering, they manage to explore other other mm-hmm. universes or, that are um, you know in parallel with the universe that they're in. And their power lies in the fact that they can simply sort of will and walk their way to all of these things, which is it's it's interesting in among itself and. I think you, Rachel, even explained what that's a reference to in the Stephen King universe. I just what do not the... recall off of my head. We got so far off the, the thread <laughs> here from <laughs> right <laughs> the actual right. chapter, which again I would like to say is 
not the most exciting. Uh, well, now <laughs> we're getting book. to the last two shuffles, which to me are the money shuffles. You know, these are this is where like the early stuff is very much um, in and out of consciousness with a lot, not a lot going on. Uh, whereas these last two, I think, are really where the meat of this chapter is. Um, yeah. So this time Roland wakes up again. Uh, and he is being dragged up the beach as requested by Eddie, who has created this makeshift trevoir. I like to say that word. I feel very fancy when I say it. <laughs> uh, his first thought is very judgy about how ugly this trevoir is. Um, but then he kind of reconsiders and he thinks about how court um, would it may have given Eddie one of his rare compliments because it worked. And Eddie was actually trying instead of just sitting around feeling sorry for himself. And I thought, um, even though Roland is saying like, oh, court would have been impressed. I feel like this is kind of Roland's way of, he's like, I mean, it's, it's just sort of like an, you know, a cipher for I him. I thought it felt like proud father. And, and like, yeah, almost... like he's trying to say like, oh, court would be proud. But I think it's him, like maybe his own oh, way of being like, I'm proud. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, okay. I'm yeah, like, it's okay to soften up, Roland. It's okay, you big secret softy. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> as the sun sets, uh, Ro Eddie asks Roland if he can see any more of the lobsters. Um, Roland points one out. Eddie shoots it. And he jokes with Roland about dinner being served. And Roland, you know, like, and Roland, of course, is deadpan, of course, because he's Roland. And he tells him, you know, like, oh, my sense of humor got shot off in some war or the other. And... It's during this time, like, the guys are, like, now that Eddie is not in, like, you know, acute withdrawal and Roland is finally really kind of on an upswing with his health, the two of them start to kind of settle back into a comfort level that allows them to kind of open up a little bit. And Eddie confesses to Roland that, you know, it was really touch and go that he had considered him killing himself, killing himself. And he tells, you know, like he jokes that he didn't because he doesn't want to, he was afraid the bullet would be a dud and he'd shit his pants and he couldn't wash them because Lester the lobster was out and would, you know, make him dinner. And he manages to actually make Roland laugh, which is a miracle. That was a, uh, a, a good little spiel there. And then after this, like they, they've sort of shared their touching moment and um eddie basically just launches into his entire story right or am i no 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 we're getting a little ahead of oh, ourselves so yeah because this is this is a really and i i don't i wouldn't normally mind but like this is important this is this is the good stuff here uh. um so roland kind of presses him after like laughing you know like he wants to know why roland or why eddie didn't shoot himself it wasn't just because he was afraid of shitting his pants uh, I mean, not that that's not a totally valid reason because, you know, nobody wants to shit their pants. But uh, Roland, you know, Roland wants to know why. And Eddie confesses to him that he didn't do it because he knew that Roland needed him. That if he killed himself and left Roland, Roland would have died. And he explains that, you know, like he understands that Roland does not get that because he's not like that, but that some people need to be needed um and so i i pulled this quote because i thought it was pretty impactful uh he says there are people who need to who need people to need them the reason you don't understand is because you're not one of those people you'd use me and then toss me away like a paper bag if what it, if that's what it came down to god fucked you my friend you're smart enough that it would hurt you to do that 
but it's just hard enough that you'd go ahead and do it anyway. You wouldn't be able to help yourself. If I was lying on the beach and screaming for help, you'd walk over me if I was between you and your goddamn tower. That's pretty close to the truth. Um, you know, and Roland lashes out at Eddie and, you know, he's like, which war was it that you got your sense of nobility and purpose shot off, which totally hurts Eddie's feelings. And, you know, there's this moment where Roland sees him crying and un unintentionally Roland is completely proved Eddie's point. Um, and it's just such a powerful, like sad moment, but it's just like, damn, Eddie, he sees Roland you know he's just every bit as savvy as about people as Roland is um he and he's not just observant but this chapter this section in particular really reinforces the fact that Eddie is an empath which is you know like it's a gift and a curse um like his codependency with Henry which we get into in the next section has really kind of made him this way he doesn't even know what happened with Jake but he knows Roland. And it makes you wonder, like, how can Roland be both totally transparent about how, like, singularly he focused and ultimately, like, will trump his loyalty about this quest that he, that still manages to inspire the kind of loyalty and love that will make people lay down their lives for him. It's kind of amazing if you think about it, that like Eddie sees right through him. He knows what Roland is capable of. And yet he's going to lay, like he's going to be willing to, to lay his life down for him. Just like he did in the office with Balazar, just like, you know, Jake did for him. Yeah. What do uh, you think? I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> when, when I kind of listened to this bit here, it, I didn't, Put in nearly as much i didn't even think eddie was really crying to be honest with you like yeah he's like got tears on his face huh, yeah yeah i i i'm i'm remembering back to this and like i kind of fumbled past this and went straight to the story like this part here didn't didn't move me as much as it moved you rachel like i kind of just was like huh okay anyway <laughs> you know and like continued on down the road but i, I think you're a little more emotional and uh in touch with your inner self that I am. <laughs> but see, this is why we're doing it. Cause like, can't you feel like the, your little, your little, the shell around your heart cracking I mean, and opening if up? I were, <laughs> if I were thinking of it more as the crying and like the sadness, but I kind of thought of it more as like uh, when he yells at him, it's like, shut up you little baby. Like uh, get over yourself. And. Oh, I see. I think Eddie like hits him where it hurts a little bit. And so, so that's why Roland lashes out and then uh, unintentionally proves what Eddie was saying was true. I mean, like they say that the truth hurts, right? You know, like it stings when somebody sees things about you, you don't like about yourself. I mean, think about that when Roland is at his most reflective and like most self-loathing is in these moments where he is thinking about how people, he, he demands sacrifice of people and he will he will go into situations fully knowing that they're they will likely pay with their lives but he'll do it anyway because he's so singularly focused and eddie sees that in him and calls him on that calls him a tower junkie and that stings and so he lashes out and eddie's like there you go i rest my case you're a dick but i'm still gonna lay down my life for you because you're like the most charismatic um maybe it's because i I'm in the midst of a Game of Thrones rewatch because 
Um, Game of Thrones coming. What? And a uh, little plug for That's a little spinoff. We're doing Jody from Zombie Girls and I are going to do a little mini series uh, for the season of Game of Thrones. So if you are, there are some Game of Thrones nerds out there. Um, I, I feel like there's probably some crossover between our Dark Tower and. Uh, I have not watched a single Game of Thrones, and um, I not into the books. There are too many characters. Oh. I got lost. Oh, TJ, it's so it's good. Just... It's so good. But okay, so there's everybody a tells me that there's a character. This will be lost in you, but our listeners who watch the show who are not crazy um, will appreciate this. <laughs> but okay, so there's this character named Stannis Baratheon, and. Um, mm-hmm. I was watching the episode where he has to sacrifice someone who is very near and dear to him. Um, but like I had such like waves of Roland about him. You know what I mean? Like how he is so single minded in his like he is it is his right. He is the rightful king and he will do whatever he has to do in order to achieve this goal. And he will sacrifice anyone and he will do anything. And in his case, it proves to be his fatal flaw. Spoiler alert for Game of Thrones season five. Um, it's his undoing. And I was thinking about Roland and how he has such Stannis-like characteristics to him. And I was thinking about how he needs to, in order for him to actually achieve his goal, he is going to have to evolve. And it'll be interesting to watch as the series goes on, if this evolution takes place. And if not, what that's going to mean for the future of the series. You know what I'm saying? Without being spoilery. Like, I think... He needs to evolve. And this interaction that he has with Eddie is a perfect example of how that fatal flaw can manifest, like being so rigid and and um, willing to sacrifice any like so single minded. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so there's one other thing in this section that I want to talk about before we move on to the, the last shuffle. Um, and it's something that I actually put in our Facebook page. Uh, group which if you are out there listening uh, and you're not in the facebook group come on over it is awesome there has been the Facebook group is really a ton of fun a lot of really interesting funny smart people over there people posting the art that they create which is really cool um and also when i'm stumped on something in the book you (laughs) i can go over and crowdsource it which is what i did with this (laughs) so um (laughs) in this section Eddie quotes a line from the song America by Simon and Garfunkel. Um, And he, okay, so here's the section. Once I took one of your guns and I put it to my head, I cocked it, held it there for a while, and then took it away. Eased the hammer down and shoved it back in your holster. Another night I had a convulsion. I think that was the second night, but I'm not sure. He shakes his head and says something the gunslinger both does and doesn't understand. Michigan seems like a dream to me now, which is the lyric from America. So this clearly has some significance. Roland does and doesn't understand it. I don't understand it. (laughs) So I put the question to the Facebook group. Why? This is clearly an important quote. What is the significance of this? And like, what is it trying to communicate? Um, Do you have any theories before I I start? I got nothing. Um, I'm not as lyrically uh, savvy as many people are. So I didn't even, I thought it was just something I didn't understand. (laughs) All right. Well, here's, I'm just going to read you the theories that we got from, from the Facebook group and we can see what we think. All right. So this one comes from Katie. Uh, This may be wrong, but I always thought that the song was about growing up and searching for meaning in the larger world. In the song, the singer takes four days to hitchhike 
from Saginaw, Michigan to Pittsburgh. By the time he boards the bus with Kathy, Michigan is his child and his childhood are far away like a dream. He's moving forward into America and adulthood, even though he feels lost. If you parallel this with Roland's journey, Michigan is Gilead. All that he has is left behind to look for the tower. Uh, so what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that that sounds reasonable. Uh, I, I would have to go listen to the Simon and Garfunkel song again to even pick up half of the meaning that is in the original song. So Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe that's Roland's interpretation of when Eddie says it, right? Yeah. But what does Eddie mean? Well, and thank you, by the way, Katie. That's incredibly thoughtful and definitely got more of <laughs> it. Than I did, and I appreciate the thoughts. I I don't know. I don't really have anything insightful to say okay. here. And if you let me go, I'll just end up rambling about nothing <laughs> for a little bit. So right. I'm gonna well, let me, pull let my me... own card and say like I got nothing on this one. All right, that's. I mean, that was where I was at. So okay, one other person responded. Um, well, we had a couple other people who were like, I'm stumped, but one other person kind of had an interpretation. And that's our buddy Leroy, who is back from his, you know, being in the jungles, uh, literally. I think it all comes down to Roland's contemplations about his own past and the path that he has chosen for Eddie. As Eddie is recognizing that he can never go back to his New York. Although it hasn't been that long since he was in New York, Eddie realizes that the life uh, he knew is nothing but history now. Uh, when he makes when he makes this Michigan re- reference, Roland gets the meaning as he also is realizing how long ago in the past it was that the gunslingers were in great number. Those distant memories seem like a dream. Yeah, yeah that, that actually, I like yeah, that. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I'll be honest, I kind of glanced at it. I hadn't fully del- delved into it, but I think that's, I think, yeah, I think both of these are correct. But Leroy, I think it nails what Eddie is talking about in a way that makes sense to me. And now I get the reference. Okay, cool. Think, see, this is why we have the smartest listeners. Okay. All right. Last shuffle. It's another really important one. <laughs> All right. So over the next few days, Roland's health is really starting to improve. He's finally able to walk part of the time. Um, and the red lines, which, you know, were the harbingers of doom uh, earlier on in the book, are starting to recede and they eventually completely disappear. So he is doing like that antibiotics work in its magic. Uh Yes. So it's during this time when they're kind of like resting and walking that Eddie begins to talk about his childhood relationship with Henry. And well, not just Henry, but also like his mm-hmm. mom and his mom yeah. and Henry. And, that was a tag team and there. So the, yeah, the early description, uh, Eddie seems like the outlier almost. And his mom, uh, it sort of seems exactly like Henry. Like they are almost clones mm-hmm. of each other, like making excuses for life and, it, yeah. uh, you know, uh, sort of feeding off of each other. And like they kind of like got a good thing going with this kid, that's well, you know, <laughs> into doing everything for him. Am, am I wrong in that statement or like the mother is more coming from a place of fear that and but what she imposes on her children is super toxic, whereas um, All right, let's uh, let's rewind a little bit before we get into the like analysis of it and actually okay. <laughs> talk about what it was. Okay, okay, fair, 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 fair. The gist of what Eddie or Eddie talks about is uh, both Henry and Eddie feel that Eddie stole Henry's life from him. He was made uh, Henry's responsibility after the death of their sister. 
And every terrible thing that ever happens to Henry after that, and including like not being able to play sports uh, or go to college and he gets drafted to Vietnam and becomes a junkie. All of this at the end of the day is because uh, of the quote love sacrifices he makes for Eddie. Um, and so when his life spirals, Eddie feels guilty and responsible for Henry. Um, he tells this story about when, uh, Henry, you know, forced him to steal this car with him, and Eddie is totally terrified. So he lies and tells Henry that he thinks a cop has spotted them, um, so that Henry will stop the car, which he does. And he ends up jumping out of the car and leaving Eddie behind. But at the last minute, he comes back and helps him. And, you know, Eddie focuses on that part of it and thinks that's what's important in the story. Yeah. Eddie mentions multiple times, like, but he came back. Right. But- it, it, from my perspective, if you ran off and left me for dead, I, I would not be right. Like that's the part very, you need to focus uh, on the part that he put him in danger and then left him. But, but Eddie who adores his brother just focuses on the fact that he comes back and like Roland sort of is like, you know, it would have been better if he left your ass behind. Um, and it, it yeah. you know, eventually it kind of culminates with the story of how this codependency leads to Eddie, you know, his need to be needed leads him to following in his brother's footsteps and becoming a junkie. Um, You know, he's like haunted, haunted by all of these quote unquote sacrifices um, that, that, that Henry has made for him. And at this point, it's like exacerbated by the fact that he know now knows that because of all these sacrifices and the spiraling that he's done, that Henry can no longer survive without him. Um, so rather than, you know, distancing himself from like a super toxic relationship, he ends up, you know, following Henry's footsteps down into shooting up and their lives spiral leading to where we first picked up and met Henry, where he on his way back from that trip with Bahamas from the Bahamas. Well, there, there's even a, a statement in this where he says, you know, um, if I weren't there for Henry and he were watching a wrestling game while he was high, trying to go to the bathroom, he would have just sat down and yeah. shat himself on the floor. You know, and it's like, that's what kind of situation your your loving brother yeah. has, has put you into is basically his adult babysitter while he slowly degrades into nothing. And uh, that that part, I don't know. Uh, it's 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 kind of depressing. The it's kind of there's like little little glimpses of hope where you think things might get better when they first introduce the fact that you know Hen- Henry came back from the war. They had him on strong opiates mm-hmm. uh, after his leg injury, and uh, and then they got him off of that, but they didn't do a good enough job. And then Henry finds him, or um, uh, Eddie finds him s- snorting heroin in the bathroom and they have this knockdown fight and then their old neighbor yeah. walks out and she's, you know, she's a, she's geriatric by this point and she's uh kind of let herself go. And they crack a joke about like, ah, oh, she's <laughs> yeah. not as hot as she used to be, you know? And then they're like, ah, oh, right. buddy, buddy about it again. And like roll back in and, and you think like, Oh, okay, well don't worry. You know, we're just snorting a little bit of a heroin. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. Like we're not going to get in too bad of trouble. And then like, you know, the same knockdown fight happens when yeah. I, I think yeah. Eddie referred to it as skin popping where he's like actually doing real drugs. And, and then they still like kind of, uh, roll off like, ah, you know, it's, it's still okay. You know, things, things could be worse, you know, uh, 
why, why it should be feeling good be illegal, I think is the, the way he like. Right. Like when the world's going to hell, why not feel, you know, get a little high. And uh, the, the <sighs> whole uh, relationship too, with his mom and his little sister who died. Every time you hear mention of the sister, it's like, Oh, that pretty little thing, uh, who, who died too young. And like the mom sort of has this, um, this description of her that not to say that the daughter couldn't have been the perfect, you know, person, but the, the mom right. sort of has this idealized view of, of the, right. of her daughter and also has this sort of idealized view of Henry always looking out right. for, for Eddie, even though in reality, Eddie's the one who's like basically been working hard and Henry's kind of just been like slacking off and dinking around for his, well, he's his excuse, right? Like yeah. he, and he wants all the credit for taking care of, of, of Eddie or Henry wants all the credit for taking care of, of Eddie. But at the same time, he's also his excuse for not trying or doing anything like he, like he's, it's such a, such a fucked up manipulation that he's doing to this poor kid that on one hand like he's kind of a loser but rather than take any accountability for the fact that he's kind of a loser he has this scapegoat in eddie which only reinforces eddie's like you know sense of loyalty and guilt and you know like he owes henry something when in reality henry's just kind of a loser yeah it's kind of a strange dichotomy yeah there. henry makes me sick he is a manipulative monster um well, uh, yeah in some ways though if you think about the parallel description of of henry and then sort of what that outburst from eddie that came through previously mm-hmm. uh, uh, roland sort of is uh, Henry in a little in a, like a little bit of a way not not in the quite the same way you know not drug addicted or anything like that but he's also someone that can kind of just like move through the world and walk over somebody without even you know caring to to get to the the next spot you know yeah it's it's not as as um as foreboding as as Henry's like spiral into nothingness but uh, uh Roland is definitely sort of filling that uh gap in eddie's life that uh henry yeah it's a familiar dynamic <laughs> yeah uh. you know, wipe my ass carry me around help me help me while i'm like, nearly <laughs> right. dead you know it's it's like well this is interesting no wonder he enjoys this he's been doing it his entire life programmed yeah. almost and I mean, that's pretty much it for this chapter, isn't no, it? No, no, no. There's still like, so much important stuff. Not really? so much, but so- yes, okay. yes, yes. Okay, so we get the flip side of this, right? So we're like really kind of digging into what's going on with Eddie. But um, while Eddie's kind of jabber jawing, Roland's mind starts to wander, and we get another sort of perspective as this is going on. During all of this, like as Eddie's telling the story and kind of like laying bare kind of all the sort of, you know, red flags of why maybe he's not like the best person I eat on, on paper to achieve his goal. Roland never asks himself like, you know, why this person, why is Ka put this person in my path who, you know, promises weakness and, you know, potentially dome doom. Um, why is it caw that we meet? Um, and it makes him start reflecting on 
uh, the last graduating class of the gunslingers where there were like 56 people who tried for it and only 13 that passed, which is like an evil number. Um, and then how shortly after that court was murdered, he was poisoned and there was a civil war and he, you know, moving along through all the things that happened to him, how now he is the last of the gunslingers in a world that is sterile and empty. Um, you know, but he never, despite all of that, all of this, his mind wandering and hearing all of these things about Eddie, he never questions why Eddie. And what we learn is that's because to Roland, there are only three things that matter. And that's morality, Ka, and the tower. Um, just the fact that Eddie has been placed in his path by Ka, that's enough for him. Um, and like... He, for someone who claims that he does not think about philosophy or history, Roland actually does do a lot of that. Maybe he isn't like exploring Plato, but he has a very, he has a life philosophy. Like it's, it's very pragmatic, um, but it, he has a life philosophy that he, you know, considers and that he adheres to. And as for history, I mean, like that is all that he thinks about other than the tower, right? Or at least since he met Jake. And so I guess the question is, is if this is really who Roland is, even though it's not been, that's not been what's shown to us in terms of his internal dialogue is the meeting of Jake and the meeting of Eddie. Is it like a bit of an actual awakening for Roland? Whereas like those things that he says about himself prior to meeting Jake are true. And it's only like, demonstrably false because he's having this like emotional awakening um i mean i haven't read the little sisters of Valoria yet i figured out the order of books by oh the way. really okay yes um right. so maybe i'll have to reconsider this when we get there because that's something that happens like right before the gunslinger um but it almost feels to me like ruin has been sort of sleepwalking, right? Like, well, I don't know so... if it's an awakening per se, because uh, Roland, like initially, as, as we get the glimpses of old Gilead and, and his relationship to his, his friends and, you know, uh, well, I, I don't want to talk too much about his, his lady relationships, but um, he was, he was super emotional <laughs> back then. Like he well, had his ups yeah. and downs and his swings and like, he cared about things. And although he was hard headed, he's, you know, he had friends that he cared for and he like thinks of them dreamily. It's just in this chase through the entire first book, they sort of wanted you to, to see Roland as this isolated guy who has l been left with basically nothing, uh, but his task of chasing the man in black across the empty plains and th these people that you start to get introduced to jake and now eddie and uh the other drawings that are coming coming up uh, they are basically uh, repeats to me of uh cuthbert and all of his friends mm -hmm. from the old days which right. are basically just re revitalizing the same emotions that he used to have for those folks and this reference at the end is sort of just telling you that like in a more subtle manner that hey you know i'm, I'm sort of this is sort of like uh that one time way back when you know this feels a little bit familiar to me like I i'm i'm having friends again like we're having a little tea party you know eating eating lobster on the beach it's uh it's the same thing i i think we m largely agree i guess what i'm saying is i feel like i mean when we get to the fourth fourth book yeah fourth book um we'll get to see all this backstory right because it's a prequel spoiler alert, there's a prequel yeah, yeah. coming um 
But I feel like with things like, well, first of all, it's not like we're being told by like a third person perspective that Roland is this way. This is coming from internal dialogue. These are things that he's thinking yeah. about himself. Right. So I feel like, yes, in his youth, he was one kind of person. And then, like he says, parts of him got shot off in subsequent wars, like metaphorical wars. And some of this is that it's triggering memories that I agree with you, but that's what I mean by like an awakening, like up until this point, he's been, I was saying like, he was sort of like sleepwalking, just like driven by purpose, you know, for some undefined amount of time. Right. When we meet him, he is in media res. We have no idea how long he has been. I mean, we don't really understand how long the gap is between when he was young and this journey started to where we are when we pick up his story again. And I feel like because he's someone who was so singularly driven that like, you know, a lot of him has shut down and just been focused on the chase, but meeting Jake, drawing the quartet, it's waking up a part of him, a nostalgic part of him um, that is making him reflect on his past. And that's where this sort of like flaw in his logic is like, he thinks of himself as one kind of way because he's been this way for an undefined amount of time, but it no longer, like it just no longer meshes with who he is. He hasn't, he has become, he's not reflecting on, on the changes that are happening. He's not necessarily seeing them yet. Like he still thinks of himself as one kind of way as he's evolving in the books. That's my interpretation. Maybe I'm crazy, but no, no, uh, you're not crazy. I, I just uh, maybe I hung up too much on the, the yeah, word I, I, yeah. Because when I think of awakening, I think like uh, someone who's you know been a dead soul their entire life, and then like suddenly they can see, and now the world is like reawakening better. Yeah, and, and <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I, I think so because because yeah. Roland he was awake, and then like the middle of his life he was sort of this zombie, yeah. and then you know he's he's finally like. The, he's starting to bloom again, uh, uh, Roland Flower. I mean, if we're going to believe that he's self-reflective enough to know himself, then I think we do. We can kind of extrapolate that there have been a there's been a long stretch of his life where he's been largely sort of dead, in, like internally. Yeah, you know what I mean, like emotionally, eternally dead. And like these characters are reawakening parts of him, but they're also holding a mirror. I don't know. I I, I that's the thing is like. I think on a surface level, you look at someone like Roland and like you think like still waters, right? <laughs> but like he runs deep and, and deeper than he thinks. And I'm loving kind of really absorbing that in a way that I hadn't in the past because we've had the, we've slowed our pace and really are spending time on these character moments. Um, all right. So they finish we're almost story done. Time, and then they yep. continue down the beach. Uh, There's a little. <laughs> okay. Okay. Keep okay. going. I'm sorry. Okay. So, okay, so, you know, as Roland's sort of, like, off in his little dreamland, Eddie kind of, he's like, hey, can I get some feedback on these very personal, private stories that I'm sharing? And, like, can, what do you think they mean, Roland, you know? And Roland just sort of responds, like, ha, you know, I don't discuss this kind of stuff. Um, what's past is past, and what's ahead is ahead. And, I, like I said, I think this is a remnant of old Roland, Um you know, the, the rest is caught and it takes care of itself, which is, of course, extremely annoying to Eddie, who calls it all caca. Um, <laughs> it makes a good poop joke. 
But it's interesting because, like, again, this is, like, one more thing we learn about Roland. Like, he's not just someone who's driven. He's a man of faith. You know, he's a man of secular faith, but still a man of faith. Uh, He doesn't ask any probing questions as to why the things that are happening are happening. He just assumes that it's part of a larger plan that Ka has. And, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that says about Roland um, in terms of as a character. Does that make him, is that his fatal flaw? You know, like, is that something that, yes, it helps it, it has two sides to it. Like on one hand, he's maybe not as introspective or as thoughtful as he needs to be. But on the other hand, it gives him a lot of motivation to just move, like blaze through whatever happens. It was meant to happen is a, it's a rationalization that can be very effective if you want to, you know, do, do whatever you have to do to achieve something. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Yes, okay. <laughs> I, I agree. Okay, let's, let's yeah, move okay, on. Okay. So, sorry, sorry. We're almost done. Okay, so uh, after this, <laughs> any more you want to talk about their uh, internal? No, no, no. I have stuff to say at okay. the end, but that's basically uh, it. So from there, they're they're done kind of sharing, and they continue on walking. Uh, uh, Roland still urges Eddie north. We need to go north. And uh, uh, Roland starts to realize that uh, the next door they're coming to is the Lady of Shadows, and, uh, you know, they, they finally sort of get there and Eddie throws this like temper tantrum, <laughs> so to speak. Like, <laughs> you know, I just want to go through that door with you, Roland, so I could have some fried chicken. And Roland's like, what? You know, don't bullshit me, man. You don't just want fried chicken. You want fried chicken and heroin on the side. And Eddie's yeah. like, well, you know, uh, I could... I can have both, you know, it wouldn't be that big a deal. Like, uh, I'll still, I promise, give you my junky word, I'll come back. Right. <laughs> and, and Roland's like, no, nah, no, nah, that, ain't, that ain't happening, kid. You know, this is not, this is not how it's going to go down. And, you know, Eddie's even, like, threatening a little bit, you know, getting, like, up in his grill about this. And I think that's as he far pulls, as it goes. He pulls Roland's gun and insists on letting him go through. And it's just like, oh, damn, that monkey is still very much on his back, even though he's kind of come out the other end of the withdrawal. Like, maybe it's a squirrel monkey now, but, you know, there's still a monkey there. And when he sees his chance to escape back to his world, all of that, like, junky bargaining and rationalization comes back, like, instantly. And uh, Roland's response is basically to just kind of turn his back on him and, and trust to Kaa that Eddie's not going to shoot him. And that's, again, like I said, you know, he's a man of faith. He's taking some risks here. But, um, but yeah, that's how the, that's where the chapter ends, is he's going to go through the Lady of Shadows door. Uh, just a side note, I didn't want to spoil it in case the part with the knife was further down the road. Right, that's why I was like, let me, I knew where it ended, so I was like, let me just yep, yep, jump in here. I was like floundering a little bit because I just don't want to throw in that one from the next chapter. <laughs> Right. All right. So what did you think overall of this chapter? Uh, I, I I would normally jump in. Especially going through it a second time. Like, did it help going through it a second time a little more granularly? Uh, There's a few more high points (laughs) in this, but this chapter, like, uh, every time we finish one, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's great. But this one was not so great for me. Um, Okay. You know, I do like a little bit of the history, and, you know, it's kind of nice to know how Eddie came through but this sort of like when you're watching a movie and you know that this was originally like a 200 minute movie and now it's a 90 minute movie this feels like one of the things that probably 
ends up on the cutting room floor, you know, yeah. like um, uh, in Judge Dredd where that uh, the girl that he meets <laughs> is actually his daughter in the original edit of the movie, but in the uh, final release, it's his girlfriend because it was just easier to cut out all that father-daughter business oh and like have God. them sleep together. <laughs> I love your deep, deep cuts, sir. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you ever watch Judge Dredd again with that in mind. Yeah, we're talking about the Stallone like, one or the new one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All this, the Stallone one. All their banter back and forth is like daughter-father banter, and then they right. sleep together. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and in the original cut of the movie, it was father-daughter the whole way through, and then they're like, yeah, this isn't working. We need to, like, speed this up. Let's just shoot Let's a just sex scene them... and keep it moving. Yep. Yep, exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, see, now I kind of have a slightly different perspective on it, and, like, maybe because we spent a whole hour talking about this section, it feels bigger than it is, but I think it's actually a pretty good way to sort of, like, you need to pass some time. Like, you need you need the, you need to get through some hours and get through some days post what happened at, um, you need at let the, the adventure breathe for well, a little bit before you breathe, go into more. But you also action. need to like, what if we spent three chapters dealing with Roland's illness or Eddie's withdrawal or whatever? Like this is a way to condense it, but still put in some good character stuff that makes it like a, like a little, uh, like a very short section of the book. But, like, where it doesn't break the... Like, you don't get a Judge Dread thing, right? Like, it doesn't break the logic um, and the, and the like, progression of the story in a way. Like, it, it manages to effectively rush through a chunk of time that you need chronologically to get through in order for the, like, it to make real-world sense. Um, so I, I applaud that. Um, I also just, like, really love these kinds of chapters. Uh, this is a quintessential me chapter. I think it does a great, I, I talked about this early on, a great job of illustrating what it feels like to have a, like, nasty fever. Um, and, like, it, it's just, I love watching the evolution of a relationship is always interesting to me. Uh, and I think that this one feels very honest it feels for what it is, obviously, in a fantasy world. Uh, nobody, nobody's acting against character or, or in a way that is illogical. Like it's very based in like true emotion, and that's one of the things that Stephen King does very well with this series. I mean, maybe not in all of his books. Like, I don't think all the kids would have sex in the sewer in it in real life. But, um, <laughs> but like this <laughs> is a case where I feel like he is really tapped into true like 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 emotional development and psychology of of relationships developing and so i love this chapter i also like to and i'm you know i mean like i have a therapist gene so i always want to hear people's stories of trauma um so i appreciate that and and there's some good world building in here you know what i mean we learned we learned a little more about roland's past and a little bit more about how he operates his his life philosophy and like how he operates and we learned about Ka. Very important, very important concept in this world. And I think this is the first time we got a real explanation of Ka, if I recall. So that's big. That's yeah, so big. it's true. But Ka is like such an easy thing to think about that I, yeah. I, I don't feel like it needed much of, a, of an explanation. No, I mean, and it, I don't think they explained it, over explained it. I just think it's important that to note that this is our first first time of like referencing it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So plan for next week. 
for those of you that don't, don't want to stick around for the listener mail, but you should because we got some really good stuff. Uh, we're going to be reading The Lady of Shadows, Chapter 1. We're in the third section of the book, right? Detta and Odetta. Detta and Odetta. One oh, of my problematic Dada. characters. Oh, yes. Okay, so I'm going to just put it out here right now so that I don't spring it on you. And I'm going to put it up in our, our Facebook group as well. Next week, we are going to be casting Detta Odetta. So Detta mm. Walker, Odetta, I can't think of her last name. Um, you got to think about who you want to see in the movie. Spoiler alert, I already, have, I already know. I, I've already cast her. But I want to hear what you think. So I'll put it up in the in the Facebook. Next week, come prepared to, to break down who you think should play this character. But think about all the different aspects of this character and what they have to be able to do. So they have, they're going to have to be able to act their ass off. So <laughs> Be a, a very dirty lady and a very proper lady all in oh, one. Really? I'm, this is the chapter I'm dreading the most. <laughs> Let's just get through it. There's a... There's a lot of very descriptive bits in this, Rachel. Yeah, I'm just ready to power through to Susanna. Okay. Um, so that's <laughs> it for this week. Let's talk about listener mail. I don't believe there are any spoilers in here. So if you are spoiler averse, you can stick around. If I suddenly at the last minute realize there are spoilers, I will warn you. <laughs> but if you don't want to stick around, but you do want to be a part of the show, there's lots of ways to get in touch with us. You can email us at castofcaughtzombiegirls.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-678-694-7759, or you can do like one of our listeners this week did where they just sent me an audio file. That was awesome. You can find us on, I don't know if I've mentioned it, but we have a Facebook group. <laughs> you can come and join the Cast of Cough Facebook group <laughs> to talk about all the geeky stuff that we love. And if you are enjoying the show, do us a huge favor, leave us a review on iTunes. It's a great way to show that you like the show or don't like the show or have some constructive criticism, but it also like allows other people to find us so that we can grow our little cast of cough family, our cotet, if you will. All right. Listener feedback. Let's start with our buddy, Jeremy. Um, not sure where he's from, but our buddy, Jeremy left us this awesome voicemail. What's up cast of Ka? I just want you to know, I've been listening to the show since the beginning and uh, I, I love it. I love uh, what you guys are doing. I, I just, I just think it's great. And uh, you know, because for me, there's only a couple, like a handful of really cool Dark Tower podcasts uh, out there right now. And because um, it's early, you know, like there's probably four I listen to. Um, and uh, no, I, I, yeah, I guess four because one doesn't really count. It's just more of a book review, and they're doing the Dark Tower, but it's not about the Dark Tower technically, right? So I don't know if that made any sense, but I think you know <laughs> what I mean. Anyway, love what you guys are doing. Uh, I think it's a great time to be starting this because this film's coming out, and regardless of what you guys are feeling about it, I, I'm uh, I'm very excited about it. You know, and it, you know, remember it is a sequel to the book. So it's a new, it's a new story. It's something new, strangely familiar, kind of like (laughs) the gun, the dark tower itself. And, um, I don't know. I, I, regardless, it's going to bring people back. Even if it, even if it's a flop, it's going to bring people back. Uh, someone's going to love the film. And, and, and I think that, um, they're going to seek out the books and they're going to seek out, Dark Tower podcasts, and you guys are there, so don't don't stop doing it. I love your voices. Aww. I love what you're doing, and um, long days and pleasant nights. 
This is Jeremy Sangiacomo, a.k.a. Slagoff. <laughs> so that was awesome. <laughs> I also, I mean, we already said at the top of the show we're planning on sticking around no matter how the movies go. I love his enthusiasm um, for the movie. Like, it gives me hope. I want to be super excited and on board with the movie. So hearing someone excited is very cool. Maybe it does good enough to uh, inspire a made-for-TV miniseries. <laughs> Stephen King has always done well with those. Uh, maybe ABC would be up for uh, five night or ten night, <laughs> two hour. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I hope I, I'm with you. Like, I, it's definitely awesome to see it, especially in a beloved um, franchise like this, to see another entry. Uh, whether it does good or not is is beside the point. Yeah. At least it's getting its time in the sunshine. So as negative as Rachel and I sometimes get about what we, we fear the movie may become, uh, we're still happy that uh, a movie is coming. And uh, the love of this podcast is that uh, Rachel and I really did want to go back yep. through these books and enjoy yep. them again. So we're getting to do that regardless. And we wouldn't have thought about doing it if Rachel hadn't uh, tied in the movie with this and told me. To it was just the right timing. Yeah. Like that was, we'd talked about this forever and that I was just like, okay, it's now or never. Um, but yeah, I like the idea that no matter how the movie does too, it's going to drive more people to the books, which is just a net positive. Like whether you like the movie or not, or the movie is great, the greatest movie ever, or the worst movie, it doesn't matter. These books exist. And the more people who read them, the better, because it's such a great experience. Yeah, definitely. And a painful one. <laughs> the sadness. Okay. <laughs> so awesome. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It was awesome to hear from you. All right. Let's go to, we've got two emails. First one up is from our buddy, Leroy, who I read something from earlier. Now, Leroy is from, this is Leroy from Eastern Tennessee. See, I love it when you let us know where you're from, because it's just cool to know where everybody is, you know, like where you're listening from. All right. So it's, this is a excerpt from a longer um, email. Um, I'll share that email with you, DJ, if you're interested. Um, But I wanted to kind of hit a couple of high points in it. He has some interesting ideas. Okay. So Rachel DJ, I'm back from the jungles of Central America where I spent three and a half great weeks eating lots of beans and rice and doing lots of ecology field work. (laughs) Although I've been disconnected, I had to patiently wait. I had been patiently waiting until I was back in the world where social media is king and I could download your podcast. Yes, there are other worlds than these. Well done. Well done, Leroy. That was very good. (laughs) All right. So here are his thoughts on chapter five, um, which is the one this uh, showdown, showdown and shootout. All right, here's what he has to say. As the chapter ends, it isn't uh, clear already. If it isn't clear already, we get a clear understanding as to why Eddie is the prisoner. And this is actually, when I read this, I was like, aha, this is actually, I had never really thought about this. Roland realizes that even though Eddie thinks Henry was taking care of him, it was really Eddie taking care of Henry. We first think that the prison is drug addiction, which has always been my interpretation. But Leroy says, but the relationship between Eddie and Henry is the actual prison. Eddie is imprisoned by a sense of family duty as he has no choice but to care for Henry. So as Henry realizes, or with, so as Eddie realizes that with Henry dead, he has no other ties to this world, Roland begins to tell him about the tower and what lays in store. Is Eddie trading one duty-bound prison for another? And so Roland closes the door behind them. I thought that was very insightful. Like I had never really thought about it. Yeah, that's a 
That's a really good way of looking at it. I mean, I mentioned earlier when we were discussing this chapter that uh, I felt like uh, Roland was taking the place of his brother. But uh, to relate that to a prison, uh, that is interesting. And he is sort of locked up in Roland's world, stuck with Roland, right. whether he likes it or not now. So, Like you, yeah, like you that, think like, oh, Eddie, right. that Roland has set him free from this prison because you think it's the drug addiction and there's no, like, there's no heroin here. So he's going to be set free. But like, the prisoner is still the prisoner. It's not a, a thing that is resolved, which makes sense when we get to the other two doors. Like those are not, those are not people who transcend, transcend their um, label so much as like maybe the meaning shifts, um, the significance of it shifts yeah, and the irony in some of their cases shifts. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's really an interesting idea. And I, I totally subscribe to it. And then on shuffle, he brings up the Hey Jude reference and his thoughts are maybe I'm reading too much into this, but from the first time I read this, I felt that Hey Jude reference was an indication about the universality of, of great music. Great music will transcend even the boundaries between worlds. So I don't know. I love that. I mean, I think, Hmm. I think that that is true, but I also like the idea of twinners being the vehicle with which it transcends worlds, or like we said, passing back and forth between doorways and stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Last uh, letter. We got a message from Mario from Spain. Ooh la la. Okay. Good morning, Rachel and DJ. It's been long since I wrote you. I just finished listening to your last podcast. Did Rachel really just say ballsiness? (laughs) yes i did (laughs) and i just and it just reminded me of something that i wanted to tell you that i had forgotten through your podcast oh this is where he calls me out (laughs) i'm glad he does though because like this is something that i was kind of unsure about and like as i was saying it when i was saying it i was like this is probably wrong so now i have a concrete evidence that i was wrong all right through your podcast, you've said several times that Jack Sawyer from the Talisman may be Jake's twinner. However, if rules in both worlds, Dark Tower and, and Talisman, are to be followed, that is not possible. Jack Sawyer is unique in that he has no twinners, which allows him to travel among the possible worlds. In the end of the Talisman, I hope I'm not spoiling anything, Jack falls through endless worlds, but there's only one version of himself. Finally, and about the so there we go. Done, done and done. Jake is not Jack's twinner. Oh, <laughs> I hate being wrong, but I appreciate I appreciate knowing that. So I'll stop saying and making a fool of myself. Okay. Finally, about the movie, Ahem. Well, besides everything you have already discussed in the last podcast, there's something DJ said that I don't agree with. <laughs> Mario has taken us to school. <laughs> I think he said something like this. As this is the last time... Oh, oh. Uh, spoiler alerts for the books. If you are first time reading through the books, stop. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> All right. If you're still here, it means you don't care or you already know. All right. <laughs> As this is the last time Roland seeks the tower, the movie may be different than the books. Uh, Jake could be leading Roland and not the other way. Well, this wouldn't justify anything. Roland is Roland. And I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible that such a huge shift in personality could take place. He is a junkie of the tower in spite of everything and everyone. All right. Bonus, how could Jake have visions about Roland if he hasn't died yet? Hmm. And he closes with, I love your podcast, which makes it all better. (laughs) So, okay, that's a really great question. So, okay, we talked about the beginning how I was like, 
maybe this he'll die at the end of this movie, but maybe not. Maybe maybe he'll be having flashbacks and we'll find out he died or some I don't know because Roland doesn't seem to know Jake what in the trailer. You know what I mean? Like when he appears. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like he's discovering him for right. the first time. So does that mean that Roland doesn't know, but Jake does? But then why wouldn't Roland also be going crazy if there was like this, you know? I don't know. Um, I would have to sit and think about that for a while before I had a legitimate answer to throw at you. Um, <laughs> it is a little bit of a brain breaker, isn't because, it? <laughs> yeah, you know, how would Jake dream about Roland? And it's not as though you could do something like say, well... Jake is Roland as a different person and a younger self, you know, because that doesn't work either. It, it, and it's, no. it's such a complicated uh, structure between those two. that I don't know what the yeah. answer is. You know, maybe you could just uh, cheat and be like, well, there's that one house that they go to. and <laughs> Except for that we were talking before the show. How does that door work without Eddie on the other side with the key? I know. Uh, maybe... This is concerning me. Maybe uh, now, my fangirl senses are tingling. <laughs> maybe now Jake's wearing the key around his neck all the time, yeah. right? So like Roland has the horn of Eld, and Jake has two keys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that... All right, all right. I mean, that I don't might... recall what happens to the key at the in the. I mean, I was telling DJ that I was listening to Wasteland on the way to and from LA, and I was like, "Oh, where's that key? Does he just leave <laughs> it in the ground?" Ah the things that i don't know spoiler you walk into stephen king's house and you pull it off of his uh <laughs> ottoman like before you have a beer out of his fridge and like run him over with a car you know what's going to be hilarious is that in what a month from now a little over a month from now we're going to know the answers to this and we're going to have gotten everything wrong Oh, All of yeah. our crackpot theories will be exposed. <laughs> Unless we're dead on for everything, then, oh, then we win. Well, I don't even wa- know that I want to be dead on. I'm hoping that I'm wrong about most things. <laughs> As I yeah. am in life. And also when it comes to Jake Twinners. Wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> All right. So anything else you want to say about this? Uh, no, uh, keep up the good work, guys. Uh, we always appreciate your input, yes. your emails, and so on. And many of you are probably smarter than us. <laughs> so yeah. feel free to prove that with your clever and insightful <laughs> uh, banter. Uh, neither Rachel and I will claim literary genius. No. And uh, we are always humbled by some of the smarter people <laughs> yeah. that enjoy listening to us. Yeah. So remember that um, – uh, although we are talking out loud, we are still just talking out yeah, loud. Yeah, and it's 100% more fun when it's interactive. So we'd love hearing from you. All right. All right. Where else can they find you on the internet, DJ? If this was not enough of your sweet, sweet voice, where else can they find you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, as usual, guys, you can find me at DSRFilmNoob.com. If you're into cameras, you can listen to the DSR Film Noob podcast. If you want to hear me talk endlessly about technology and cameras and so on and engineering topics if you are into uh, a more drunk and uh, coherent. less uh, <laughs> um, coherent dj uh, you can definitely find me on the splattercast where i play the rube in the group of of many people that, uh, cycle through watching movies. <laughs> you ain't yes. no dummy and uh and uh continuing on from there um you can also find me on twitter at dslr film noob 
Uh, so what about you, Rachel? Where can people find you? Well, if you want some more of my sweet, sweet voice, you can listen to me on the Splattercast with DJ, uh, Zombie Girls podcast, the String Queens podcast, and coming next month, the as yet unnamed Game of Thrones miniseries. We, if you're like, want to get a taste of what that's going to be like, if you look back in the Zombie Girls catalog, there are two episodes about last season, season six, right? Yeah, season six, uh, that Jody and I did. We thought it would be fun to do one at the beginning of the season, and or, 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 sorry, one in the middle of the season and one at the end, and then they turned into these epic five-hour conversations. So we decided this year we're going to do it per episode for our own sanity. So you can get a taste of that if you want to like kind of remember us what happened last season. Um and then starting uh, mid July. Oh my god, it's so soon. We'll be back with more of that. So something to look forward to. Man, you're gonna have some early mornings or some late nights yeah, uh, trying to hook up with Jody. What's and good is like she gets home from work. It's like about like, I don't know, like 10 11 here in california so mm-hmm. it kind of works out like when we do weekdays it works out well. so i don't have to do on the weekends or whatever you know like trying to get her before she's going out because that's when you get into like the yeah, 6 a.m yeah. and it making it worse on the zombie girls our other one of our other hosts sarah works nights so she's always like can we start at six like, are you fucking crazy i'm not getting up at 6 a.m <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah you can find me there or as i've mentioned before we have an awesome facebook group come join the conversation we got a lot of good stuff going on there and i want to know who 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 should play odetta and detta should it it be the should it be the the some kind of twins i mean maybe uh, oh the sister sister twins (laughs) those are such an iconic pair of twins sister sister they're so happy uh, I, no. I love I loved Sister Sister. I used to watch that after school. Oh, what a classic. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.